Good to be with you again today. Glad that you are with us as we continue in the book of Romans. Uh, last week we took a little one-week break to talk about Father's Day and how we can honor fathers and as we as fathers can be honorable. And I had about three or four guys leave last week and they said to me, man, were, were you like preaching directly to me? Because I felt like you were thinking of me when you were putting this together. I want you to know before we start today, I don't ever think of any of you individually or specifically when I'm putting together a sermon. Um, I'm trying to read out of God's word and read what it says and have it speak to us instead of me decide up front what you all need to hear and then trying to figure out a way to make God's word say it. I'm just not that smart. And so it's just really best for us to read God's word and see what it has uh, to tell us. And I wanted to say all that as an introduction before I give you the title of the sermon, which I know you can see on your notes. And it's basically this, mind your own business. Okay, mind your own business. How many times do we tell our children or our grandchildren this, or how many times did we hear this as children? How many times did mom or dad say, hey, mind your own business, especially if you were raised with siblings? I'm sure you got that quite a bit. If you didn't, you should write a book because you're the only one who's never been told that. But let me ask you this. Do we really ever grow out of the temptation to stick our nose in where it doesn't belong? What do you think? Fact is, we just love getting in other people's business, don't we? Let's see what the Bible says today about this topic, and maybe we'll all learn something, and maybe all of us can grow a little bit in our relationship with one another and with our relationship with God and learn how maybe to mind our own business a little better. We're looking at Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. We're going to read straight through it all the way, and then we'll come back and take it apart piece by piece. Here's what it says in chapter 14 of Romans. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person, click, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We see here the first principle is this. Do not judge one another in non-essential things. Do not judge one another in non-essential things. Let's go back and look at Romans uh, 14, verses 1 through 3 again. Let's just look at that and see what we can see uh, from God's word as a principle. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. 
One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Now, verse 2 of chapter 14 has become one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, And it's this, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. I love that verse. And in fact, so does this young man right here. He loves that verse too. Now, if you're a vegan, that's a joke. I apologize. Don't be upset too early. All right? But what this is talking about, this comes from the fact that there were still both Jewish and non-Jewish believers in the church of Rome. There were those who had been born into the Jewish faith, they had been raised as Jews, and they have now put their faith and trust in Jesus. There are those who were Gentiles, not Jewish, who have grown up not close to God, and now have put their faith and trust in Jesus, and now these people are coming together to form a church, to form the body of Christ. Many of the formerly Jewish believers would consider or would continue following Jewish dietary laws, and they wouldn't eat meat that was considered unclean uh, because it was under the law, or they wouldn't eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Because here's the situation meat that had been sacrificed to pagan gods was usually sold later in the marketplace and people could buy it and eat it. In other words, so you have Jewish folks over here who say, listen, we, we need to only eat clean uh, things. And so over here you have these pagans who are sacrificing an animal to their pagan gods and now they take the meat and instead of burning it or, or using it up, they now go, hey, we can make a buck from it. Let's sell it in the marketplace. And the Jews believed if they purchase uh, that meat that had been sacrificed to idols, they were somehow participating in this idol worship. And of course, if you go back to the Old Testament law, that was true. God was helping them to see a principle there. But that's not true in the New Testament. Okay? In fact, in this verse, if you look carefully, it's the weaker in faith that have the majority of rules. Think about that for a minute. It's the weaker in faith who sometimes seem more religious. They've got all these rules. They espouse them to everybody. They try to live under them. They place all of this burden of rules and things that they need to do on top of themselves. And it appears that they might be the most religious. But what God is saying here through Paul is that those are the people who are weaker in faith. The fact is, legalism seems more religious, and it is more religious, but religion is not freedom by grace. Remember the title of this whole series is Grace Through Faith. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved love of God. And folks, we don't have to do anything to get that. Here Paul is saying that neither of these people should look down on the other one. The weaker who won't eat meat should not judge as unrighteous, the ones who eat meat. Likewise, the ones who have freedom in Christ, they don't add all these rules to the word of God. They don't add all these rules to their behavior. They should not look down their nose with contempt on the one who isn't comfortable eating meat either. The fact is they should respect one another. They should act out of love instead of judgment and criticism. Now, aren't you glad that we don't have to really mess with this issue I mean, there may be a few vegans in our church, and if you're doing that as a matter of diet and as a matter of health, then that's great. 
but we don't have that kind of issue or problem in our church. Isn't that awesome? Perhaps eating meat isn't a problem here. But let me tell you, there are plenty of non-essential topics that can divide us. In fact, I'll bet you that I could go to almost any New Testament church uh, within 10 miles of this church and bring up about two topics. And if I really wanted to, I could divide that church by just those topics. Topics like smoking or chewing tobacco, watching R-rated movies, drinking alcohol, dancing, women wearing makeup, men wearing makeup, gambling, music choices, using birth control, having tattoos or piercings, working on Sunday, sending your kids to public or private schools, whether or not you celebrate Halloween, wearing certain clothes, having certain hair. You see, there are a lot of non-essential things that we add to the essential. Now, why is Paul specifically saying here, focus on the non-essential things? Because there are certain things that are clearly sinful, okay? And there are things that are essential to the Christian faith. The essential things are like the Bible being the infallible word of God. Jesus being the Messiah and salvation coming by faith in him alone. Believing the resurrection. Believing in the return of Christ. There are other blatant sins that are obvious in the scripture. Sexual immorality, adultery, gossip, slander, envy, lying, stealing, murdering, hating. All of those are completely obvious sins. We can't ignore those. But folks, we need to be careful not to be adding to these things a lot of other things that aren't necessarily in the scriptures. There are a number of things that are crystal clear in the Bible. There are also a vast majority of things that are not quite as crystal clear. And there are variants in those. You know, you could make the uh, comment maybe that I'm, I'm opposed to gambling I think God's word is against gambling. But let me just say, I can make a clear case from the scripture that if a man takes his entire paycheck every week, cashes it, and blows it at the casino with the heartfelt desire to make it rich and not have to work any longer, he is absolutely sinning. However, it's much harder to clearly see from the scripture that it's a sin to put $20 in an office pool during March Madness, especially if the winnings are going to a charity of the winner's choice. It's just hard to, it's hard to do that, folks. Now, God is not saying to ignore blatant sin. But we do need to be very careful that we don't live on a slippery slope. And there's this kind of, um, it became very popular in the 60s and 70s, this kind of uh, guilt by association. Okay? So the Bible is opposed to trying to get rich quick. I can see that from the word of God. Therefore, gambling is wrong. Therefore, card playing is wrong. Therefore, my children cannot play Uno because they're using cards that are used for gambling that make, you see what I'm saying? You go down the slippery slope and all of a sudden, everything becomes evil. I remember, oh my goodness, having a guy come to my church when I was a youth and he talked about how rock and roll music was all sinful because of the drum beat and the guitars and, and he went to a, you know, the middle of Africa and found all these pagans that were playing music that sounded just like rock music. Really? They have electric guitars? And, and it's all evil. And so and our youth group actually got together and all burned our records in the parking lot of the church. 
I love some of those songs. I sing some of those songs, even today, you know. Because we were, we were taught and we were told that there's a slippery slope, that anything that's related to something 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 that's sinful, we must avoid everything. Now, folks, you begin to do that, you're going to wind up being a hermit. You're just going to be a hermit. I grew up in a church where I was taught that if you wear jeans to church, you are being disrespectful to God and you are being rebellious. I outgrew that. Okay? I have freedom. Now, I still, I got to be honest with you, I still struggle with wearing shorts and flip-flops up here, but you would struggle with that too, I'm sure. But the point is, folks, we got to be careful that we don't keep adding things that aren't in the Scripture because we feel better in some way. God is not saying ignore blatant sin. I want to make sure that's clear. But he is saying, saying stick to the universally blatant. And by the way, our personal convictions are not the list of universals for everybody else. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But it's clear here that Paul is saying, do not judge one another in things that are not essential. And here's why. He gives us a little bit of a a glimpse of his conclusion right here. He says, no one else answers to you and I. Nobody else answers to you and I. Look at verse 4. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Last night, two of our grandsons were with us for dinner. And they were sitting at the table. Julia had already set the table, and the table was set. They were sitting there waiting for dinner. Julia was getting it ready. And one of them started playing with the silverware and started kind of drumming on the china plates, you know. And, and Julie said very kindly, she said, Lawson, uh, stop playing with the silverware, please. And literally three seconds later, his brother had him in a headlock trying to wrestle the uh, silverware away from him. And I said, Leighton, leave him alone. You are not uh, Grandma's sergeant of arms. She does not need your help. She can handle this. By the way, I'm here to help her, not you. All right? Listen, we need to remember this. We need to stay in our lane and let God stay in his lane. Okay? Sometimes we as Christians, we think that it's somehow it's our responsibility. And I'll tell you, for pastors, it's a, it's, a, it's a temptation to think that it's our responsibility to take on some of God's responsibility and, and be God to each other. Folks, we need to be brothers and sisters to each other, and we need to let God do his job. He does not need our help. Lord is able to make him stand. By the way, God can convict better than you and I can. I've had people try to make me feel guilty about things, and I might respond to that in the moment. But you know what happens? That fades away really quickly. I get away from them. I don't hear their criticism anymore, and it kind of goes away, and I go back to doing what I wanted to do. But when God convicts me of something, when God comes down on me and God disciplines me, it is a whole nother ball game. Because I tell you what, I've been spanked by humans before, uh, you know, in a, in a not an actual way, but, you know, kind of uh, mentally. And I've been disciplined by God before. And, and let me just say, he just does a better job than any of you can do, okay? And we need to remember that for each other. I don't need to discipline you uh, for things especially that aren't blatantly sinful, Now, how does that work out? Here's how it works out. 
If I see somebody in church who uh, is, I'm their friend on Facebook, and I see a, a picture of them on Friday night at a bar, and they're like almost falling down, and you know, their drink is spilling on them, they're the person next to them, we're probably going to have a conversation, all right? I'll probably get defriended by half the church right now, uh, unfriended. But if I see you at a Thanksgiving table, and there's a bottle of wine on that table, we're not going to have a conversation. We're gonna, one's blatant sin, according to the scripture, and one is not. And I'm not going to say, whoa, you had wine at your table. Uh, I know that's, you're probably a drunk. We need to talk. You know, that's goofy. But folks, Christians fall into that all the time. Paul's saying, listen, don't judge one another. Let God do his business. I can tell you from experience that when some of the people in Fellowship of Grace are doing behaviors that I see as maybe not good for them, but are not blatantly sinful, Instead of criticizing them, I pray for them. And God just does a really good job. People sometimes ask, you know, they'll say, well, you know, Michael, uh, uh, you haven't preached on smoking since I've been here. You haven't preached on how bad tattoos are since I've been here. You haven't preached on all these other things. Well, there's two reasons why. One, if I preach on those things, I also have to preach on gluttony. And two, listen, it's not, my, it's not my place to keep you in your lane in every area of life. You need to work that out with God because God is in you and he will take care of that. It is important, however, that every believer should follow his or her own conscience, which is the Holy Spirit in them. Now here the Bible is talking about days. In verse five, what does it say? It says, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, literally, I could preach four sermons on this verse. We could go four weeks to talk about how deep this verse is. But let me talk four minutes instead, okay? Here, when it's talking about days, these these former Jews, many of them were believing that the the Sabbath should still be honored on Saturday, The reality is that the Sabbath was always on Saturday in the Old Testament. But when Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, all of a sudden the disciples began to meet every week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And if you read Acts very carefully, you can see how the actual day changed from Saturday to Sunday. And they began to meet on Sunday. Not because God sent some edict down that the Sabbath is no longer Saturday, it's now Sunday. It's just they were celebrating the resurrection. They were excited about it every week, so they celebrated it. But there were some who were raised as Jews who were saying, no, no, we should still meet on Saturday. And they were were also um, celebrating all the festival days that they were raised as Jewish people to do. Again, the weak in faith are the ones putting these demands on themselves and others. It's the more maturing Christ, that we're not putting these things on themselves. But here it says, everyone should be convinced or convicted in their own mind and heart. Remember, Paul is writing to the churches in Rome. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to the masses. He's writing to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus already. He's saying, listen, you should all do what is right that you see that you're being convicted about. Everyone should follow how the Spirit is leading them. 
Are you saying that it's possible for the Holy Spirit to lead one person one way and another person another way at the same exact time? Yes. Yes, especially in some of these non-essentials. Listen, there, I can't point to any place in the scripture that says I can't wear shorts and flip-flops up here. I'm just not comfortable with it. I'm just, now, if you see me at the grocery store in the heat of the summer, I'm going to be in shorts and flip-flops. But I'm just not comfortable doing it here. Other people are. You see guys in our worship team that are. So God's put this thing in me, or maybe I'm putting it on myself. But, but I think God's put something in me as a leader, to feel like I need to do certain things that he may not put on everybody else. But everybody should follow the spirit that is leading them. Now, this is different than being led by your instinct. Okay? Everybody, um, we talked a couple of weeks ago about not be, Paul saying, don't be led by your feelings, but rather be led by your decisions. For the Christian... It's different because uh, before we came to Christ, we had a little bit of a conscience um, that came from mostly the culture, the way we were raised, what we were taught was right and wrong, maybe our own feeling about things, and that's very unreliable. But when we give our, our lives to Christ, when we realize that we're sinners, we can't do anything about that sin, and we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to pay for our sins by giving his life for us. And we put our faith and trust in him. The Bible says the Holy Spirit actually takes up residence in us. That's why, while I, I don't want to be too critical about too many things, I try to get people to not ever say, this is the house of God. This is not the house of God. These this, this, these bricks and mortar and, and, and building and all that, this is not the house of God. This is the house of God. We are the house of God. And so I can trust that inner voice in me. When God is convicting me of something or telling me something, it might be different than what he tells you. And this can be attributed to our giftedness. It can be attributed to our personality. It can be attributed to our, our, the sins that we are uh, you know, possibly fall into or could fall into easily. God does a good job of leading us, folks, if we'll just listen and follow. So every believer should follow his or her own conscience, which is the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say, honor the Lord in all that you do. This is a great, this is a great passage. Look back again at verses 6 through 9. It says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats he eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. You see, if our motive is truly to honor the Lord in what we do, whether we eat or not, we're not sinning. We have freedom. We have freedom. What he's saying here is, listen, if you, if you were raised Jewish and, and you believe all this stuff about how meat is and you don't want to eat meat because you're honoring the Lord in your obedience to not eat meat, awesome, honor the Lord. If you were raised as a non-Jew, and you're like, hey, smokehouse, let's go. Uh, 
then, then, then just do it. Do it and honor the Lord. Be thankful for it and honor the Lord as you eat it. So whether you don't eat meat, honor the Lord. And if you do eat meat, honor the Lord. And so whatever you do, you honor the Lord. If you want to get a tattoo, get a tattoo and honor the Lord. I'm not getting one. <laughs> and I'm going to honor the Lord. Doesn't mean you're not honoring the Lord because you're not doing it the way I'm doing it. Doesn't mean I'm not honoring the Lord because I'm not doing it the way you're doing it. If you want to wear shorts and, and uh, flip flops to church and honor the Lord, do it. I'm not going to do it and honor the Lord. You see? So the reality is, it's not really about many of the things that we add on to the gospel, it's about who we are and what we think and what we feel and how we act to God and why we do what we do. See, because the reality is you can have all this religiosity and not eat meat and not honor the Lord. You can also eat meat and dishonor the Lord. So it's not about whether you do or don't. It's whether you honor the Lord in what you do. And God will lead us. Our motive is important. None of us lives our lives to ourselves. In this passage, he uses that term. None of us lives our lives to ourselves. Listen, we live in a culture that basically is saying, hey, what I do in my own home doesn't affect anybody but me. Stay out of my business because what I do doesn't affect anybody else. Folks, there is practically nothing that you do that doesn't affect other people. Think about it. Let's say you decided, well, in light of this sermon, I'm going to stop eating meat today. Okay? You just put some poor farmer out of work. I mean, that's a little drastic. But you see, we, we affect each other. Everything we do affects the people around us. None of us lives in a bubble. We'd like to say, hey, I can do what I want because it doesn't affect anybody but me. But let me tell you, everything we do affects us and our relationship with God and how we relate to him. And it affects the people around us. Christopher is going to preach about that next week as we continue in this, in this uh, chapter. But we don't live in a bubble. And our, affections, our, our actions do affect us. And they affect the people around us. They affect our relationships. They affect the way that we interact with God and the way we feel about ourselves. And on and on and on it goes. So we can't ever say that. We have to realize that the things we do do affect everybody around us, and they do matter. The last thing I want you to see in this passage is this. Each one of us will give an account to God for what we do. Look at verses 10 through 12. Here's what it says. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Here's the final statement. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Listen, why do we judge each other? We're not going to answer to each other. Okay? No matter what you put on Facebook and no matter how much we interact about it, at the end of time, you will not stand before me and I will not stand before you. 
I will stand before God and I will give an account of the things that I have thought, the things that I have said, and the things that I have done. And guess what? So will you. So will you. You don't need my help. Now, this does not mean that we don't encourage one another. Of course, of course we do that. And by the way, when you decide to plant your flag with the Fellowship of Grace family, and you say, I am going to be a part of this church, and you can, be a, you can be an attender till Jesus comes and not be a member, and we'll still love you, we'll still care about you, we'll still help you in any way that we can, encourage you. But when you say, I'm planting my flag with these people, this is my home, this is my family, folks, there's a certain amount of responsibility of encouraging one another and loving one another and accepting one another and holding each other accountable, not in the non-essentials, in the essentials. Because God wants us to encourage each other to follow him and do what's right. But God will judge us in the end. And by the way, he's probably a lot better judged than we are. Don't you think? I think probably so. Everyone will give an account of himself to God. So, today's sermon title is not Mind Your Own Business, but it's Mind Your Own Business. You see, it's not like we shouldn't be minding anybody's business. We should be minding our own business. Fact is, my life is messed up enough. I don't have t- if I'm really focused on working with God to fix the things in my own life, I don't have time to judge and criticize you because i got a lot of stuff to do. You know what I'm saying? And if all of us focused on working our stuff out with God, we wouldn't have time to judge and criticize one another. We wouldn't have time to judge and criticize those who come through the door. By the way, if anybody who doesn't know Jesus comes through those doors and we ever act that way towards them, shame on us. Shame, shame, shame on us. Christians are known for sometimes loving the world and eating their own young, you know. We shouldn't be doing that to anybody, but especially to those who don't yet, yet know Jesus. Folks, we got to mind our own business. we got to focus on uh, being more like Jesus ourselves. i got to focus on staying in my lane because i just got a lot of stuff to do on me still. And I'll bet most of you here still have some stuff to work on yourselves. So don't just, let's keep our nose out of everybody else's business, but let's really mind our own business because at the end of the day, we are going to stand before God and give an account of what we've done. And I've got to be honest with you. I'm old, and when I look back, I'm, there's going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that I'm embarrassed and humiliated as I stand there and give an account to God for. Only God's grace through his son Jesus can save me from that. It can, and it does. But I don't want to keep piling up the stack. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to keep making the pile bigger. I want to stop it. So I'm going to mind my own business. And I don't have time to criticize and judge you, and I hope that you'll mind your own business to where you don't have time to judge and criticize one another or me either. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us so wonderfully, that guides us, that helps us, that causes us just to
take note. Father, forgive me for the times that I have judged and criticized others. Forgive all of us for the times we have done that. God, help us to just rest in your mercy and grace for those things. But God, God, help us to really mind our own business, to really focus on the things that we need to work on in our own lives. Help us to focus on how we can become more like your son, Jesus. Help us focus on how we can be changed by your spirit in us. God, help us to really show love to one another. Help us when we see blatant sin to, to encourage one another in love to stop. But God, help us in the areas of non-essentials to just not be critical, not be judgmental, to just let things go and let you work in our hearts and the hearts of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.